Hello, welcome to episode 50. That's right, it's a half centenary episode. And I can't believe it's like a year since I started this. And um, tonight, well today, tonight, whenever, <laughs> this morning, we have um, somebody I've been, been meaning to chat to for a long, long time, possibly like the last 10 years. It's John Byler from the Bison Foundation in America. And uh, yeah, we had a few gremlins around halfway point uh, recording this interview on the video cast, uh, which was... Uh, probably at my end so you may get a little bit of a gap at the end of the first one just ignore it and skip on um but it'll be be published in two parts uh, and two parts on BitChute and later bnt and library uh and the video cast so um john's going to tell us about his book you look great and it's his strategies coping for the practical aspects of dealing with the after effects of brain injury and um, there'll be stuff about music, creativity, art and healing in there as well, plus a, a really frank and um, uh, open discussion about the state of the medical industry and uh, how it hampers people's recovery. So I really hope you enjoy listening to and watching uh, as much as we enjoyed recording it. Okay, enjoy. Today, ladies and gentlemen, I have a very, very special treat for the 50th episode of the Post-Concussion Syndrome Awareness podcast and videocast. And it is. <laughs> I'm only laughing because we've been, we've been kind of rehearsing this for the last hour or so, <laughs> which is unusual. We have John Byler all the way from Kansas. Hi, John. Hi, David Bottomley. Hi, nice again. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. uh, it's, it, it's been, it's been, a, it's been a, a conversation that has been a long time in the wings. And now here we are. I'm getting deja vu. Done about you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. you know uh, in, 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 uh, I'll give you a little slice of American history. Years oh. ago, when Ted Kennedy uh, was announcing he was running for president, he was oh, on yeah. 60 Minutes. Mm -hmm. Do you remember? You remember Ted Kennedy? Oh, yeah, and I've read about him. Yeah. Apparent, apparently, uh, the very first question out of the gate, <clears throat> I think it was morally safer. One of these, you know, from 60 Minutes. Oh yeah. And he said, "Why? Why do you want to run for president?" <clears throat> And he gave, his first reaction was pretty articulate for Ted Kennedy, pretty mm. articulate explanation. Uh -huh. And then the, the technician said, you know, I'm sorry, we, we didn't record that. Just go start over. And Morley Saber <laughs> asked the same question and he totally botched it. He just hemmed and hawed and just didn't, that's not going to happen today, David. That's oh, not going to happen. Oh, shit, no, no, no. We've, we've just, uh, <laughs> luckily we've had like, just two rehearsals, uh, you know, a long one and a short right, one. Right, two rehearsals, so, right. Right, so anyway, we, we, we did, uh, drummers came into the uh, previous one, but we'll, we'll save that for later, I think, might okay. be best. Um, right. So, right, well, John is an author, and he's also a, an inspirational speaker, artist and a musician, and just, just a very cool guy, in my opinion. And uh, we've had, like you say, we've had about 10 years, you know, kind of contact via the internet and so on. Um, but our paths have never actually crossed until now. So, John, would you like to begin by telling people a little bit about yourself, please, and your background, and then also about how you became to be injured and, and so on? Okay, sure, yeah. So I was born in 1957 here in Kansas. There's a little town in Kansas called Heston. There's a little Mennonite school uh, that my grandfather taught at in the 30s, and then my parents went to college there and met there. The slogan is, start here, go everywhere. And my parents uh, moved to Oklahoma City. They became Methodists. 
and they put us in the mission field in Hong Kong. So I actually grew up in Hong Kong from 62 to 68, went to a British school, uh, a Kowloon Junior School, wore the uniform, learned all about British history. I was actually afraid coming back to the States in 68 that I was going to be given pop quizzes on Davy Crockett and the Civil War because I knew nothing about American history. And uh, so, so, uh, so, so that was my, my, my child. I actually had a, a happy childhood. I, I loved living in Hong Kong. Every day was exciting. I'd walk to school and, you know, you're surrounded shoulder to shoulder with people. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I, have, I, have, I have very happy memories of Hong Kong. It's very sad what's happening there yeah. right now. So moved to, uh, my, my father got promoted to the headquarters of the Methodist Church in New York City. So, so went from Hong Kong to the New York City area, northern New Jersey, and um, uh, ended up uh, going to college in New York, the King's College, a small a non-denominational Christian liberal arts college, mm -hmm. and then I went to get a master's uh, in Reformation history from Northwestern, and then and then I went to Boston to get a job, and so my job started in '81. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I became what's called an instructional designer, a, a corporate training, and before my car crash in 2005, I had spent 11 years with Fidelity Investments, a mutual funds company in Boston. Mm -hmm as a structural designer, training their retail reps to talk about what is a mutual fund, what's a bond fund, you know, basic financial yeah. uh, investment uh -huh. information. So I, 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 I'm, I'm steeped in that mutual fund world mm -hmm. as an instructional designer. And then my crash happened uh, in, 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 on, on September 21st, 2005. I was in um, a 1993 Volvo. It's built like a tank. Mm -hmm. I was yeah. driving my middle, I have three sons in Massachusetts. Uh, Chris is my eldest, born on my 30th birthday. Andrew's my middleborn, and Will is my youngest. I was with Andrew at the time, who was a, a basically, a, I mean, this might be fatherly bragging, but he was a prodigy bagpipe player. Uh, when he, he, was, he was 16 at the time of the wow. crash. When he was 12, uh, we used to go a lot to, uh, every Sunday afternoon, a coffee, tea, and melody, it was called. And it was an Irish, uh, an Irish uh, yeah. sing-along uh -huh. instruments. It was just a blast. <clears throat> and a friend of ours who kind of led led the uh, open jam said to Andrew when he was twelve. He said, "Andrew, he knew Scottish." He said, "Andrew, if you learn to play the bagpipes, you'll never have to buy yourself a pint of beer as long as you live." And so at the age of twelve, <laughs> that was ma that was magic. So there was a, a, a teacher in, in I lived in the town, the town of Harvard. Uh, the town of Harvard, Massachusetts, uh -huh. is about yeah. three miles west of the university. Fantastic. And so he just started playing, and he was, he was his teacher, we, we bargained for eggs. We, we had some chickens. And so in exchange for eggs, this guy, Doug, was in a professional piping band, taught, taught Andrew everything he knew. By the time he was <laughs> about 15, amazing. he said, I taught him everything I know. Yeah. And so the band had actually hired a gold medal winner, <clears throat> champion, to bring them up to the next level. And so we hired him independently just to focus on Andrew. So Andrew was an amazing bagpipe player. And so it was his bagpipes that were in the trunk, mm. actually in the back seat, because if they had been in the trunk, the trunk was smashed. Mm. We were hit We were hit at a very high speed from behind, right, such okay. that a 93 Volvo's trunk was crushed. That tells you the force of how fast he was going. Yeah. This guy, this guy nice. I know his name. I'm not going to say his name. He was joyriding in his brother's gold Mercedes. So he totaled his brother's Mercedes and totaled my 93 Volvo and, 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 and 
and and and um, the night of the crash, you know, we were coming back from bagpipe practice, and and so w- w- when we got hit and spun and ended up in mm. the grassy medium on the left, yeah, yeah, we came to a we we spun and we came to a stop, and I looked at Andrew and I said, "Are you okay?" Mm. And he said, "Yeah, are you okay?" So we. Until I was yelling, yeah, oh my God, oh my God. <clears throat> and so I called my wife, I called 911, and, mm. and, 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 and at one point that evening, there was three sets of flashing lights. There was the ambulance, there was the state trooper, and there was the, uh, the, the, and the fire truck. Yeah. And, um, and so <clears throat> that night, uh, the, the, fire, the, fire, the, fire, the fireman said to us, uh, 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 um, um, he said, Bad, you play bagpipes. He said, I was just listening to bagpipes in the car. Oh. And so picture this scene. <clears throat> picture this scene, which became, which became Andrew's college entrance essay. He mm. talked about, he very calmly, he's a very calm guy. Mm. He should be an astronaut. He, he <laughs> got his case out, he put the bagpipes together, and he played on the side of the highway with these oh. firemen training their walkie-talkies so the guys back in the firehouse could hear him. It was, an, it was a powerful evening. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. and so I didn't know that I'd been injured <clears throat> and neither did Andrew. No. And, and as happens sometimes with traumatic brain injury, um, 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 the symptoms unravel over mm. the next few days. Yeah, and yeah. that's what happened to me. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, the, the overriding sensation that first evening was in, in home, safe in bed with mm. my family in my, you know, uh, uh, was, was gratitude. <clears throat> Some people yeah. have a real trigger when they see the picture of their totaled car. And it just sends them in a downward spiral of grief and, and mm. possibly shame. Yeah. But for me, I, I, I've been training myself to be more a, a, a positive. And, and when I see the picture of the car, I'm grateful that my son and I walked away from that. Because it, it could have ended, yeah. it could have ended uh, fatal, fatally, obviously. Yeah. And so over the next two days, I was, I was finishing up a project with Fidelity. And, and, and I noticed right away that time on the computer was... was, was, was the screen was moving, it, it drained me. And so over the next few days I, I finished this project I was working on and 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 so, some I, I, my, 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 my speech was just unraveling. I couldn't I couldn't 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 I I, I, I needed help. Mm. So um, a friend of ours who who um, who, who is a, 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 a doctor, she said, I was on the phone with her, because that Saturday, I took my son to a baseball game, mm. and I, I, was, I, was, I, I knew something was, was off, I called her, and, she, and I, was doing, I was doing what I'm doing now, stuttering, and, 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 and she said, you've got to go to the ER, mm. the emergency room. So I, I went, and he did kind of an informal neuropsych, where it's <laughs> count backwards from 100 by sevens, uh, walk a straight line, that sort of thing, and I failed. Uh, so yeah, he said, yeah. you had so that was the, the the beginning of for me was was life life wasn't going to be the same after that mm. and so I, I went to see a, a, a neurosurgeon fortunately I didn't need surgery um, his name is um, Bob Cantu C-A-N-T-U Dr. Bob Robert Cantu uh, uh, it, he, he's often a, or has been a kind of a go-to specialist interviewed by the New York Times and so on so I, I knew I was in really good hands mm-hmm. And he said, you can, he said to me and my wife at the time, you can either let nature take its course, and we all know how reliable nature can be, uh, or get a case manager to really guide you through it. And so I had a case manager, Beth Adams, 
and she's the one then who took over my 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 condition and got me into Balding Rehabilitation Hospital in Boston, right. and that's a Harvard Medical School teaching hospital. And mm-hmm. I, and so I was in a privileged position. I knew it, mm-hmm. and um, a year after the crash, working closely with my speech language pathologist Rick Sanders, he challenged me to. Um, 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 speak at his one of his graduate level classes in the Boston area. He was teaching classes at Boston University at the Sargent School, mm-hmm. um, the Mass General Massachusetts General Hospital Institute for Health Professionals. It's called. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also spoke at Boston College. Anyway, I started I started gaining confidence in reading from his, my the script that I wrote. Mm-hmm. But that very first time out. I, I, I had rehearsed it because I had done public speaking before the crash and I thought I was going to lose that ability. But I was able to deliver my talk on what it's like from the inside to have a traumatic brain injury. And yeah. I did it well and skillfully. And the first question was basically what, what brain injury? And I looked at Rick and, and I explained that during the Q&A um, that, that probably some of the symptoms would come out and they did. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, uh, when I'm even to this day, 15 years later, the thing that concerns me if I'm if I'm talking to someone is either I'll start stuttering, uh, I'll just totally blank out, or yeah. actually cry. My mm-hmm. emotions yeah. are very close to the surface, and that's that's that that, that, mm-hmm. that in, in the field they call it lability. Your yeah, lability. emotional lability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lability. It's, it's, so yeah. I'll pause there to kind of catch my breath. That's that's mm. that that that's kind of my broad sweep about what happened the night in two thousand five and 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 how a year after that I felt as though you know uh, I, I one way I could pay it forward for people who who don't have a case manager is to write a book that's the best of what I learned at Spalding yeah. and so it's a memoir although my my story is woven through it I do have three case studies in it um, but the, the core of the book. It's, it's called, um, the book is called You Look Great, and the subtitle is Strategies for Living Inside a Brain Injury. Mm. The core of it is called the Brain Injury Recovery Team Model. The premise being that it's not a superstar neurologist who's going to get you better. And I had a superstar neurologist. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, it takes a team. And so there's the medical team, and there's a therapy team. And Spalding has them working together using what's called a common folder. So I would show up to, to a meeting and they'd yeah. look at the common folder. Oh, you were just here on Tuesday. So it's everyone working together. Oh, yeah. and that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And so as I was finishing this book at the end of two, uh, in, in the, in, in, uh, I have to, I have to not stutter. No, um, this is quite all right. No, don't. I mean, as as you, often you, happens with people with brain injuries, um, and, and 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 we were talking earlier about about what it, what what what's available to us in the states. Yeah. And so at some point, even as 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 fine an institution as Spalding is, after a few years, they didn't know what to do with me. And so I started yeah, being yeah. denied visits. You know, mm-hmm. the people who were on my team, well, being denied visits. And so mm-hmm. I really felt uh, I had to be my own case manager. And I was learning yeah. stuff at support groups that I wasn't learning at Spalding. I was learning from other survivors, you know, yeah, starting yeah, to collect course, yeah. practices. Yeah, like collective, yeah. collective recovery, if we call it here. So, okay. yeah, no, thank you for that. It's, it's, I mean, it's always difficult to talk about your injuries and, and things uh, in, in the public space, which I realise you, you probably haven't done before in this, this kind of format. 
So yeah, no, it's 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 it's, it's triggering for all of us at times, you know, and, and learning to accept that with vulnerability and, and to deal with that that emotion is is a powerful thing. So don't don't worry at all about uh, about that. It's um, I feel as well that yeah, you and I have had very different paths into recovery and healing uh and as we discussed previously you know you're you've gone um because in north america you have a very wide range of options available to you um which we don't have here in the uk and in other parts of the world whereas you know like i like i said i've become my own personal witch doctor over the years and just you know kind of dance around kind of you know <laughs> ingesting various things herbs and things to kind of heal myself so yeah it's good that we we have that contrast so would you um, be able to tell us how the Bison Foundation came about, John? And how you can tell sure. me about how, how that happened, please. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, so, so just the time frame, 2005 was the car accident. I was finishing the book in 2011, um, and I, I had sent it off for publication, and I saw the statistic that among American mm-hmm. veterans, the suicide rate had exceeded the combat rate in our, in our wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. And to me, that was just a, a milestone, because I felt I knew why. They, 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 some of them looked great, but they didn't have any strategies for dealing with their brain injury. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. I, I, I brought the book back, even though by, by the middle of 2011, I had spent about a year thinking I was like a month away from finishing the book. You know, how you're working on a project and you think it, it just keeps, it kept, I kept, mm. I kept, I kept obsessing over it, okay. and and yes. and so for the next five months in 2011, I I I, I beefed up the sections on depression. Um, I, 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 uh, the last chapter is called "Living This New Life." It was five pages. Now it's yeah. ten. I, mm-hmm. I needed that book to have credibility, and yeah. so as I was finishing the book in 2011, I started realizing, you know, I bet there are such things as brain conferences, brain injury conferences, mm-hmm. all, and so I just. I probably mm. you, you remember Ask Jeeves? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, that's a blast Jeeves, from the past. Was, you know, this was 2011, <laughs> so I'm not sure what the search engine I used. But I, I I applied to three, and I got into three right away. Huh? And I just felt like God was saying, "You have not lost. It. You're going to be in public speaking again, what and you you're going to be an Olympic." That's what how you mean. I felt. And mm. so and so and and it was all about. And, 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 and the, the title of it was, was appealing for a brain injury conference. It was called the brain, uh, the, brain in, the brain Injury Recovery Team Approach, colon, an Interdisciplinary Approach to Neurotrauma Rehabilitation. Okay. So I'm looking stars out of clinicians that maybe were being looked over. You know, whoever calls out their speech-language pathologist as their most valuable player. They, well, he was for me. And so the bison, how this came about. Um, as I was having the, the pleasure of being accepted into brain injury conferences. At the same time, my personal life was just going the exact opposite direction. Yeah. It was actually hitting a fan. I think there was possibly mm. some jealousy about my commitment to the book and my new life. It was I was wrapped up in it, I admit it. Mm. Uh, I, I wanted to do some good in the world. And, um, but then as a, a, um, my, my wife um, kind of sat me down at the kitchen table in January of 2012, mm. And basically said she was out, and uh, I, I won't go into that part of the story because mm-hmm. it's, it's very personal. Um, but I looked at a map and wondered, and had to decide where I'm going to get back on my feet again. And it had to be Kansas 
Because mm-hmm. as a family, we always came back to Kansas, whether we were in Hong Kong or New York. <laughs> it's like, and we're going to go, because Kansas is so not New York. Oh, it's so yeah. not. Kansas is, you know what, I, one of the things I love about being here, not only am I connected to the people here, on both sides of my family, mm-hmm. but uh, when I'm driving along, you'll be happy to know, I look in that rear view mirror, more often than not, there's no one behind me in Kansas. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> more often than not there's yeah, no one behind yeah, you so you can see great. why that would be peace of mind lots of space <laughs> yes there's a lot of space out here so what happened was um, and my mother my mother had moved back here from, from she had lived in Rio she had lived in, in Vail, Colorado oh, wow. and her, her own health was driving her back to Kansas mm. uh, due to because due to, we're, we're lowlands she was getting these little mini strokes up in the mountains. So right. she noticing she didn't need oxygen in Kansas. Okay. So she was already back in Heston mm. by this time. And so I came back to Heston, uh, crushed, shattered. And, and one, one of the early days I was here, this is eight and a half years ago now. Um, 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 about 20 miles north of here, there's a town called Canton. Kansas. And Canton, by the way, speaking of all things Scottish, we were earlier talking about Scottish. Um, Canton, as you're driving through, has little buffalo statues on the sidewalks. And they have a beautiful <laughs> little brick library that was the last library that Andrew Carnegie endowed in Kansas. Yeah. So so you drive through the town of Canton, and then you go to this library preserve where there's bison and elk uh-huh. herds. So I parked, and I was shuffling along like an old man because I just so it was it was it was the post traumatic stress of, yeah, of, yeah. of losing, losing everything, losing everybody, yeah. losing mm-hmm. my job, my church, my family, my down. friends, my pride, you know. And mm-hmm. here I was alone out in the prairie, and so I'm, no one was around. So I'm walking around, mm-hmm. and off in the distance, about a mile away, on the other side of this fence, was a whole herd of bison. So I'm looking at them, and then it's, it, it felt very biblical to me, where I just felt this great heaviness come over me. And by the way, Maxwell Preserve is a, it has a very heavy presence about it. Everybody mm-hmm. knows it, now, now that I've been here long enough, and I've been on the trolley ride to hear more about it. There, there are major battles that took place out there, right. major slaughter of buffalo that took place out there. Ooh, so it, yeah, it, it yeah, does have cool. a feeling of sacredness about it. Yeah. And so... So I felt this, and so I, I laid down on the tall prairie grass, and I slept for about an hour. Mm. And and I woke up, and the whole herd of bison had moved all the way just to the other side of the fence. Okay, and I felt flattered. Yeah, I felt like they were they they were curious. Man down, let's invest. To make contact. But yeah. they were making contact with me. I felt, and and the overriding sense I felt was they were saying, "You lost your herd." Mm. You can be a part. You can be a part oh. of our herd, and and I felt accepted. I felt like there were strengths in numbers, and I and I all, as I was writing this book, I, I had in mind that that I needed to start an organization that would help people who have fallen through the cracks. Mm. Uh, in two thousand nine, I was asked to be on the board of the Brain Injury Association of Massachusetts. Three years before the book came out, because I was public speaking, I was an advocate, and yeah. they wanted someone with the injury on the board to mm. to their credit. So I, I knew some of the foibles, if you will, some of the challenges of the national organization and all the, the states, and and it just clicked that day for me. B I S O N. Yeah. B I S O N. So B I S is brain injury support. That was easy. Mm-hmm. That just came. And then colon O N, on. 
what animates the bison, what makes it different from any other organization. Well, we've thought through it. The O is operational. Mm. And so whether, whether uh, we're funding in-home health care, <clears throat> called Bison Bay, or, or come to us for retreats, we want patients or participants to, to not only bring their brokenness, but their, their bureaucracy as well. Mm. And, and along five areas that we're yeah. going to partner with. I, I don't pretend to have specialties in these areas, but what we partner well. <clears throat> and so the person who's broken will be bringing their legal paperwork, their mm. medical paperwork, their insurance paperwork, right. their taxes, uh-huh. and their personal finance. Those five areas are huge stressors on families. Yes. And that's why the divorce rate yeah. is upwards 90 plus percent. Yeah. And I'm convinced that if, if we're able to strip away the circumstances behind people's anxiety and depression, we are going to cut into the, the assumed need for pharmaceuticals. Okay, So operational is O, where we're going to relieve the circumstances of their anxiety and depression. And then N is neurological. That was the easy one. But how I explained it in my presentations is that, is that we're going to expand the definition of what it means to traumatize the brain. Yes, it's mm. car accidents. Yes, it's the UFC and boxing, of course. Yes, it's football, American football. Yes, it's our veterans, and we will be working with these people. But it's also Parkinson's. It's also Alzheimer's. Yes, it's also stroke yeah. and aneurysm and successful brain surgery. Yeah. These are all assaults on the brain. So the Bison Foundation Indeed. was it both came to me in a flash and had been <clears throat> the accumulated experience and insights that I'd had along the way for the need for an organization that doesn't just have to be American-based. You and I are talking about some of the very real needs in the UK and elsewhere. So yeah. Bison will eventually be international. Well, I, I definitely hope so. And just just going back to the operational part of that, what you're saying about all the different stress factors from the outer world which affect people that have gone through brain injury, uh, my kind of thought instinct on that straight away was uh, regarding uh, the kind of stress and depression that can tag along to somebody and affect somebody really deeply after a brain injury. Most of it tends to be situational regarding either them losing the job, losing the partner, uh, or husband, wife, girlfriend, whatever, having these other things that come along and that deepens, distresses them and raises the stress levels to the point where all of the symptoms of brain injury are exacerbated tenfold. It just seems like, well, actually, if you could take that away, and so that's why I think what the model that you, you've developed is just is just genius in a way, because it's like, well, if you can take away that, you can allow, a, a, facilitate a much uh, simpler method for healing. And as we discussed earlier, holistically, yeah, you, you know, you can look at all kinds of different things. So picture this. So, so let's say I'm in the doctor's office mm-hmm. after a traumatic event, a car yeah. accident or a bad football yeah. game or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, let's, say I, let's pretend I don't have a good vocabulary. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We, let's pretend I don't have a good vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but I, and I will say that even with a good vocabulary, you can't explain it. No. You can't explain no. it to a doctor. Okay. But now yeah. picture somebody without a good vocabulary anyway. Mm-hmm. And so the doctor, looking at the watch, mm-hmm. knows, you know, they've got a, they've got their own metric. Is it seven minutes? Is it twelve minutes? Yeah. I don't know. But here's where the doctor starts leading the witness. The yeah. doctor starts leading the witness and says, Okay, um, you know, basically the patient says, I feel terrible. Yeah. 
So the doctor says, okay, um, are you feeling depressed? Without distinguishing between clinical depression and feeling situational, sad. Situational, situational. Are you in condition? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, then they say, uh, so, so, so the patient finally say, yes, this is, this is depression. Then they say, are you feeling anxious? Without distinguishing between clinical anxiety with panic attacks and Cold feeling soul. nervous, which is part of the human condition. Yes. And so, so we contend that <laughs> if something is part of the human condition, 80% of the time, the, the solution will grow out of the ground. Yeah, yeah, of course. That God's thought of that. Of course. Whether it's chamomile or lemon or the essential oils, the solution <clears throat> is from nature. Yeah, of course, but you know you can't patent and sell nature for great profit, and so it becomes as, as uh, Chris Ledgewood said the other day. He quoted my quote of the old Japanese saying, "When the only tool you have is a hammer, everything begins to look like a nail." And unfortunately, that is usually the state of the allopathic healthcare system. They only have three tools in their box. They have drugs, surgery, and radiation. They know nothing else. And they will use nothing mm. else generally. But the main one is drugs. And that's the big profit margin, the big, the big thing. And this is what, unfortunately, ruins lives, in my opinion. Nearly killed me, killed some of my friends, and just destroyed my sanity. In fact... The drugs and things they pushed on me were worse than the condition. And I was only just learning at that time that, and I will quote um, uh, Mr. Leddy um, and the other experts as well, leading worldwide leading experts in PCS, that drugs, if used beyond the short term, will, can and will worsen PCS and make it uh, just, uh, yeah, just much worse, just make it even worse so uh, unfortunately people are left for years on these types of drugs and then they wonder why they're not recovering yeah I landed in Kansas eight and a half years ago and then there was a period in 2013 uh, for various reasons I moved mm. to La Hunta, Colorado mm. and um, and um, I I I I I I I um, I was I was I was I was I was um, I was on Celexa at the time, which they put me on at Spalding like in 2005, really early on, because mm -hmm. I would try it at inappropriate times. And for some reason, uh, they teach at Harvard Medical School, apparently, mm -hmm. I don't know, that, that it's, it's, if, if you're crying at, at socially inappropriate times, you, you medicate them. And so my, one of my working hypotheses is, yeah. is that if, yeah. if, if I was denied the right to cry over yeah. five, six, seven years, that shit builds up. You oh, know? yeah, yeah, and, big time. And I, and I think I was, I was holding on to the tears, and I think a, a, a man or a woman should be allowed to cry yeah. if, 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 if you've been through something traumatic and not try to mask it. You know, no. it's one thing to say, oh, oh it's wrong. just a band-aid. No, these pharmaceuticals aren't just band-aids. They're toxic band-aids. Yeah, yeah. They make, they make things worse. So, mm -hmm. so um, when I, when I, when I, when I, when I was um, in, 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 I, I lived for a, about eight months, too, in Michigan. And right. and this and 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 things uh, I won't go into all of that, but I really no. felt God calling me back to Kansas. Mm -hmm. My mantra was, "I want to I want to lead a quiet and honorable life." That's yeah. all I wanted. I wanted to lead a quiet and honorable life, and I felt like it had to be in, back in Heston, Kansas. Mm -hmm. And so I came back, but I was I was um, I was. Uh, have you had panic attacks? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. From five were miles you, were you, as well. Were you yeah. pacing? And you're pacing, and you just want to explode out of your body. So so I was experiencing panic attacks because yeah. of all of it. And, and and I went to see the general practitioner doctor here. And 
that day, um, he had his nurse inject me, inject me, not just a pill wasn't good enough of Valium. It had to be an injection of Valium. It was like an elephant gun. Oh, and then, and then, and then, and then, mm. it was sort of like he was ordering off the menu, okay? He was leaning back and he was sort of like saying, now put him on such and such, it was, it was Seroquel, Clonopin, and Xanax all oh, at the same time. my word. And, 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 so, and so it was held to, 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 to be perceived as needing these. It was held beyond them, and it was held to get off them. Okay? So I, like you, am determined to know what my natural brain chemistry is without benefit of what was invented in a lab somewhere. Because I want to know, will I ever get my brain back, David? Well, this seems to be what, how, and this is an international thing, I think, with, because all, all allopathic doctors are kind of trained the same way with the, the medical textbooks and all the training they get is written by the drug companies. So it seems to me that when they can't consciously uh, deal with a hidden problem like brain injury, they basically subconsciously assign to numb the person into oblivion like a zombie to shut them up. To get them out of the yeah. office. That's that, 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 is, that is it so, in a nutshell. You know, I was on the couch. That is it. I was on the couch. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even want to be on the That's couch. It. I didn't want to be even be alive. I did, I never had suicidal ideations before I took pharmaceuticals. No, me neither. And, and, and I pointed it out to the doctor. I pointed yeah, it out to the doctor yeah. after I had started experiencing. And he gave you more. And he blew it off. He gave you more. Huh? Yeah, he gave me more. Yeah, but he kind of blew it off like, well, that they have to put that in there. Well, they have to put in there because it's it actually occurs to some people. Oh, yes, it just it, it, um, yeah. I know I could probably rant about this all night, but I'm not going to do. So we'll move along a little bit, <laughs> and then okay, um, yeah, yeah. Guide me because I I, I do feel yeah. very strongly about a few things, and and okay, it's just we'll, because we'll we're those. surrounded by by people who <laughs> you know there's ignorance and there's willful ignorance. Yeah, no. There's, there's will, and if you're willfully ignorant, I, I, I have very little patience with that. Mm. And I'm surrounded by Me people neither. who yeah. are ignorant about about sports concussions, and they're ignorant about marijuana as medicine. Yeah, but they're well, willfully ignorant at this point because there's been a lot published about both of those things. Yeah, well, we live in an age of cognitive dissonance, John, so it's, it's not surprising. And especially this year with what's going on, it's like, yeah, cognitive dissonance is just like spreading like wildfire. So, yeah, moving along to um, uh, what I wanted to ask about next is regarding your speaking your, or your current speaking. I know you, uh, Dwight is sometimes in there with you as well, but you, you do a, a lot of different activities and a lot of different events and things. And this might kind of um, um, lead us on back onto music and things as well, creativity. Because I think that the main part of re-stimulating neurogenesis in the brain is through creativity, through music, through sound healing, through art, mm. through expression, by allowing mm. all that ability, emotional ability and things to allow this pain to be expressed so it can be understood and released. So it, it sounds like, you know, it sounds like the opposite of allopathic medicine, and really it is. But often, these simple methods are way more powerful because they actually allow a release of the pain whereas drugs just suppress it you know they just plaster over it right so depress it right. yeah they, they, all allopathic drugs do is suppress symptoms they never ever get to the root cause so if you look at functional medicine 
that's like detective medicine that's like your columba or miss marple or whoever that's where you go and look for the root cause in the body and in the brain and the mind and the soul of what's happening and then you tackle the root cause and you tackle the emotional cause and guess what it gets better you heal it <laughs> it's hokey cokey magic you functional medicine during our during our pre-conversation that you yeah. were saying that you feel you've, you've experienced a lot of healing Oh, uh, along yes. the way. So, so uh, we have to do this sharing of best practices, and maybe yeah. that's one thing your podcast could do. Is oh, I, hey, I'm, by the way, I, I, I'm going to have to move the, the phone. That's all right. Yeah, talking, you do that. Yeah, you do that. Because yeah, you do that. Been talking for a while before. Yeah. I need to plug my <laughs> yeah, phone. Yeah, need to plug around as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, basically. That's yes, good. <laughs> I I am as I said to you before. I am in the uh, means of healing by any uh, possible pathways and not prejudicing any of them. The first mistake allopathic medicine makes is it prejudices nearly all other healing pathways, and there are so many it's untrue. And that's why we say when people come online and they they kind of message or they post and they're like, "Ah, oh, I've had brain injury and I've tried everything." I'm like, well, have you tried everything? What have you actually done? And they go, well, I've been to the doctor. I've, I've seen a neurologist. I've done. I'm like, well, you haven't explored all, you know, these, these 999 other ways of healing, have you, though? And then you start to give them a bit of information. And it's like, well, actually, yeah. Well, and then there's like a, a trust issue. Do, do I believe this can make me well? Do I believe this can heal me? Do I believe that such and such? It's like, well, you've got to get this Western mindset out of your head that you just do one or two things or three things and that's it. No, you must do, you must have a proliferance of different things, a plethora of different ways simultaneously. And none of them individually will seem to be doing very much at times, but other times other ones may make little hurdles and little advances. But when used simultaneously, say if you're using uh, herbal medicine, you're doing a, a functional course, say you're doing a keto diet, you're fasting, uh, using lion's mane, uh, all, all, all kinds of different stuff. You might be doing meditation, you might be um, having Reiki, you might be having Bowen technique therapy, you might be seeing a chiropractor, you might be doing 10 different things in the space of one year or whatever, right? And you won't necessarily see an overnight change. People are so used to being given a pill to take and then feeling completely different and, oh, this is okay now. The brain... The but, brain has a mind of its own. Yeah, it it's is. not a predictable trajectory <laughs> the way a no. shoulder or a knee. It takes time the, to and, heal. And, and you know, I'll get a perfect example is being you know, there's a um, the, the, the 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 woman sitting in a car at mm. a stoplight. Yeah, yeah. And 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 I think the lowest mile per hour of damage was like 11 miles an hour. She was bumped. It's like wow. it began a cascade of. Yeah, uh, it's just what, what 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 might be a traumatic event for her. You and I might have just walked away from. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, I, that's how different our brains are from each other. Yeah, and I've heard so many different uh, tales and, and personal stories down the years of how people have become. I've got uh, a mild traumatic brain injury, so on. One lady was um, shot in, in the chest. And ended up, it shook. The definition of a concussion is any shaking of the brain within, obviously, you know. And sometimes you get what, like coup contra coup, where the, the brain talks back and forwards. I mean, that, that can cause existential damage that is like, well, unseen. 
the axions in the brain and the, she the axonal shearing that happens, if you get a, a, like a calcium release right. at that moment of, of impact, especially with like a coup, contra coup injury, you can have exponential damage that you, you just can't see. And the scans don't necessarily pick any of this up. It's on such a, a subcellular level. And it is. Then right. that, that person is accused of faking or, or malingering or whatever. And it, 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 it's, it's just... Mm. I know in the States, in, in Canada, understanding this has, has, has come on leaps and bounds. But here it's like still... We're still in the Bronze Ages, not Stone Age, Bronze Age or whatever was before that. But it is... It is baffling that... Um, we don't have the same means that you do, but uh, yeah, you know, people. Do you have a theory you, about that? Uh, my theory about it, well, uh, yeah, uh, it's probably factual on the theory, but uh, the theory here is uh, we introduced uh, a national health service in the I think it was the forties, uh, late forties, and it was seen as a way to kind of provide healthcare for everybody. Now, there's a lot of myths and kind of misleading myths around it now, and it, we're still with it today, but it's utterly broken at the moment. So this was a way that people didn't have to pay at the point at the, where they were going to, to use to, to go to see the doctor or go to, to go to have surgery, whatever. They didn't have to pay at the time as they did before. And what happens is, as soon as you become of uh, working age, you pay what's called a national insurance premium. And your employer pays a slightly bigger premium on your behalf through your wages, and it's taken out of your wages, so you never see it. So you may pay, I don't know, hundred, a couple of hundred pounds a month, or whatever it is. It's it's, it's quite a lot of money. So it's a, it's much more than you'd pay privately for medical insurance. Much more. So this money just magically disappears from your wage packet every every month. So you could pay from the age of 16 to being 40, 50 or whatever. You've paid an absolute fortune to the government and they've squandered that money. Uh, they've wasted it. And uh, basically what they say is, oh, well, actually the NHS is free at the point of use. So they're, they're trying to make out that like it's a free service. But no, you've paid for it your entire life. Also for your income taxes, your VAT and everything, you're paying a, a shitload of money for this. What's happened over the last kind of couple of decades is if you need the services, like I say, if you, like I did, I needed a neurologist, I needed to see somebody, they're going, no, we're not giving it to you. You don't deserve it. You don't need it. Fuck off. So you like, imagine, imagine like you had a milkman that come and delivered milk and you, you like paid him in advance, you know, and overpaid him. And then one day it was like, no, I'm not bringing you any milk. No. <laughs> you know, you'd be like, you'd be pissed off, wouldn't you? So where, what's happening now is uh, our National Health Service that was was nationalised is actually about 90%. They've, they've uh, covertly privatised it and it's about 90% private and it's run by complete morons uh, like Virgin Richard Branson and just, just people that are just out to make money and they're just, they're just screwing it into the ground. And so then, Richard Branson. What, what does Richard Branson have to do with it? He owns a lot of it. The companies own a lot of it, and it's all private. And people don't realise this. It's like a veneer on top that is publicly kind of, but underneath it's all corporations. So what's happened is it's just become about totally money screwing people, screwing screwing the service into the ground and extracting as much cash as they can from this health service while still making it look like it's actually functional. 
So now the, the um, macaroni stuff has come along. It's just got to the point where it's it's untenable and now the the kind of the the nasty party here that are in in charge are looking to try to sell it off completely the rest of it and um it's basically from its original concept which was quite it was actually a good and uh um a benevolent idea they've just screwed it into the ground and um unfortunately you know there's some beautiful wonderful good people nurses and doctors on the ground level and ambulance people paramedics that work in this service and have worked in it for years and end and they're being betrayed and sold down the river and um just just totally disrespected um and it's really sad to see so unfortunately we will we, probably end up with a medical system like yours within a few years um but personally based on on practical experience I think it may not be a bad thing because at least if you can have medical insurance or if you pay pay up front and, and say well at least you can get treated the problem now is people like myself and others I, I tried for eight nine years to get to see a neurologist after several brain injuries I couldn't get for love no money they would not let me see one and in the end I had to kind of like <laughs> it, it was just pointless so yeah i think well actually take away the the whole national insurance thing and find a better way of doing it yeah but people who need who know what they need like myself you know that you need something like you need a chiropractor the nhs won't give you one you need a bone therapist they won't give you one you need this you need acupuncture they won't give you it they won't give you anything they'll give you drugs surgery or radiation that's it if you know what you need and you know what you need to heal You've already paid for it several times over, and they're going, no, you're not having that. And that's just, that's the truth of it. I dare anybody to challenge me on this. <laughs> you know, please, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, if you work in the NHS and you understand geopolitics and how the system works, please challenge me on this. I look forward to that conversation <laughs> because this is. What are the What are the major medical schools in the UK? Well, there's a few, but the, that, that's that's kind of like, you know, by the by, because they're all they're all kind of owned by the same drug companies. So it's like, well, oh, I mean, you know, you think of England, <laughs> and I think of I I've, I've had some wonderful times in Oxford. That's oh, my favorite. Love town Oxford. My, love my, Oxford. My man. family and I. Oh, in, nice. in, in 1999, yeah, yeah. Um, my family and I, we spent three weeks in England. We rented a car. Okay. We drove. Right. Uh, we yeah. spent. We spent time in Minehead. We oh, spent in the Lake District. I've been to Minehead yeah. and the Lake District. <laughs> yeah, Minehead was a wonderful time. Yeah, Somerset's lovely, and uh, that that area. But yeah, the Lake District as well. Oh, beautiful. In the Lake District, and then we spent a week in. Um, uh, we, we drove down to Holyhead, took the ferry over to Dublin, and we oh, had yeah. a place it, for a week uh, west of Galway. Oh, and that, that was really cool. Oh, yeah, wow. and, then, and then we spent time in Wales too. Oh man, and, uh, so, oh, so fantastic! So, so uh, in, in addition yeah, yeah. to to, uh, to having been raised in a British school, really, Callum Junior School. Yeah, uh, and, and the summer of nineteen seventy-eight as a college as a college student in nineteen seventy-eight, uh, I had the opportunity to spend the summer in Oxford. Um, oh wow! We, we, it was <laughs> a group of us students, but let, you know this is interesting because we 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 were part of this consortium of colleges that sent some some kids my age to to Oxford. We we found out when we got there 
that it wasn't part of the Oxford University system. It was Warrenburg College, which was an independent college in the town of Oxford, oh, which is yeah, a little yeah. different. Yeah, yeah. There's no such thing as Oxford or Cambridge University. No, it's just a, it's, there's a whole load of universities that are classed as Oxford or Cambridge. It's a series of colleges. Yeah, yeah. They're all different ones. There's the loads of them, system. but they just call it Oxford or Cambridge. And then you know, yeah. if, if you so re- we had a great summer. Wow, fantastic! But yeah, if you really kind of bloodline, yeah. then you, then you go to Eton. <laughs> So, uh, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. yes. So, yeah, no, they, they are, I mean, Oxford and Cambridge, beautiful, beautiful cities, you know, just like, I, you know, like, you just hang out there forever. And yeah, it is. It is but in terms say. of turning but to an academic medical? institution for help, you would think it would be Oxford or Cambridge. You, you know, do they have a medical yeah. pro, a medicine program? Yeah, but they're all sold out. They, they sold academic? out a long time ago, John. They sold out so long ago that they've no idea what medicine and healing actually are all they're interested in is developing new products yeah there's no to my knowledge there's no actual universities here in the uk that are concerned with healing or anything other than pharmaceuticals and vaccines they just don't exist Hmm. to my knowledge they just don't exist and i've not unless they're underground or they are holistic or they're kind of psychedelic or whatever i don't know they don't exist you know um i mean you know know, going back to uh talking about uh healing with marijuana and and cannabis and whatever you want to call it a fact that came up the day was well the uk produces something like 63 percent of the world's commercial cannabis i didn't know that i was like what Eh, the UK, <laughs> and then you look at you look at, yeah, yeah, and you look at who owns uh, where the cannabis farms are and who owns them, and it's a nasty party. They, these people, these conservatives, these these our own version of the neocons, they 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 own the farms, so they're they're kind of like anti drugs and anti this, but they're making massive, huge, gargantuan <laughs> profits out of it, exporting it abroad, and it's like well. For- Fortunately, fortunately, just as there's a lot of money in those pills, fortunately, there's a lot of money in that green. Yeah, there is. Because yeah, you, yeah, you use every part of the plant. Of yeah, of course, yeah. Fabrics, textiles, paper. Yeah, yeah, no. Products, I know, food. I know. Well, I th- I've always said we're only kind of another kind of three or four years away here from legalising um, in the UK. And I think we'll have to do it because now they're doing this great reset. Um, it is going to have to be part of our economy and they're already kind of talking about the new green deal the new green economy (laughs) the Manhattan Project when they got together all those brainy people to figure out how to create a nuclear bomb if we did it for destruction we can do it for healing in an ideal world yes that would happen Um, I think yeah there would be a, a, a correlation between but unfortunately we don't live in the ideal world we live in a, a corporate dominated world um which well, is that's entirely over i've seen this over the last, last couple of decades or so where money has become god and uh materialism has become you know demigod and it's like well everything is equated to money and you look at news, you watch it, everything, it's all about money, 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 money. How much does this cost? How much will that cost? How much can you make? How much? And we've just kind of become enslaved to it. Money is a manifestation of power in action, and it, we've just become slaves to this. So if you're thinking about why won't Oxford and Cambridge universities, why won't they? 
I'm sure there are some very good, well-minded people there who uh, could potentially, you know, create wonderful treatments and cures and things. And there are some around. There are people using light and sound and things to heal and, and different techniques. But what you find is those methods are always unprofitable. And so they never really get anywhere. Whereas if you can, mm -hmm. uh, if you can get some lab boffin to kind of make the next big drug or whatever, you can you can crack a formula and you know synthesize something from nature into a, a chemical uh, that you can patent. Then you can make absolute fortunes overnight. Your share prices will rocket. Uh, I'm just thinking about the guy who's the head of Pfizer, I think for the UK or Europe or whatever, and they said on the day that he announced that they had this vaccine for. COVID-19 which is impossible because you can't even isolate it yet so you can't make a vaccine and even though they said it's also it's going to be 90% um, effective which how can you say that either on the day that they announced this news that they had a vaccine he sold 5.6 million pounds worth of shares on the same day wow. and you got asked how much did he actually pay for those shares in the first place did it cost him anything or did it cost him pennies? What, what did it cost? And then, and then you see what it's all about and you look through the British government and as, as I'm sure it's the same lobbying in Washington and you see like Matt Hancock and the other people there and they've all got multi-million pounds worth of shares in vaccine companies and drug companies and it's like, well, hang on a minute. It's like the great Gatsby. The whole fucking game is rigged. And it's the same, unfortunately, in... Except no, they don't really care about brain injury. It's not even an issue to them. They can't make it. The, the big crux of the matter is these people haven't figured out a reliable way to make money out of brain injury yet. And that is the only reason they won't get involved. I feel like, yeah. I, should, I, feel like I should drop, I feel like I should drop the mic now. <laughs> but I don't want to break it. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, so, so I, I mean, I have good news. <laughs> I do, yeah. I do, because mm -hmm. if I, because I'm not, I'm actually, partly I'm training myself to be relentlessly optimistic. I am optimistic okay. because yeah, yeah. what I was calling the Manhattan Project is actually happening. I'm realizing that I'm a part of the equivalent of a Manhattan Project with yeah, this cultivating right. wellness center yeah. in Colorado. Mm. So they're in um, Golden, Colorado, and the the founder of it, Shay. Uh, she has a, a, a complicated first name and a complicated second name. So That's we just call right. her Che. <laughs> and uh, yeah. she's brilliant and, you know, a real leader. And um, are you fam you're familiar with the Roma people? Oh, yeah, yeah. R Roma? She's basically the head of the Roma people. Oh, she is. Okay. Oh, wow. Doesn't have, a, doesn't have an inviting nation. No, mm. she's, she's connected all over the world. Yeah. She's done such work. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm, she's becoming uh -huh. like a, a good friend of mine. She she um she she saved she saved somebody's life uh, some years ago, and out of appreciation, he donated to her a wow. seven hundred and fifty acre island off the coast of Chile. Wow. Well, she as she described it, I said that sounds like Jurassic Park. The way she's no. describing this island, this pristine island. Wow. Um. So so Shay is looking at properties in La Vida, Colorado, which happens to be my favorite town, probably in the world. Yeah. The, between the climate and. Uh, this what what feels to me like sacred territory. Yeah, Levita yeah, is famous uh -huh. for the vein, and yeah. it sits in the shadow of the mountains of the Sangre de Cristo Mountains. Wow. So, she, so this cultivating wellness center. She's because we've become friends. We've become 
good colleagues yeah. too, and she's mm -hmm. basically relegating to me the the mm -hmm. role of neurotrauma rehabilitation for participants in these month long retreats, uh -huh. and these retreats can go on for two three months as well. Right. So we are literally we are we are bringing together everything we know about healing in into this into this yeah. one retreat, mm -hmm. healing of the broken brain, healing of the broken body, healing of the broken heart, and healing of the broken spirit. And as we discussed earlier. Um, I used to combine heart and spirit, but I'm realizing that they're two separate brokenness. You yeah. can have a broken heart and not have a broken spirit. Yeah. You can have a broken spirit and not have a broken heart. But if you have both, I think that's the recipe for post-traumatic stress, oh, which often, yeah. which often leads from a simple traumatic brain injury. You would think that that would be life hard enough. But what happens is I, what I call the you look great syndrome. Uh, 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 people are trying to find something nice to say. And so they say, you look great. Yeah. And, and over time, over three months, six months, three years, you hear from your colleagues and your family and your friends, you look great. Sometimes there's a subtext. Yeah, of, yeah. So what's your problem anyway? You're talking, <laughs> you're, you're being lazy. Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. Or, or else you're, you're the lazy, you're crazy. And I got to tell you that I'm neither. Yeah, I mean, neither. And, and yeah, just uh, years of that. And, and uh, to some extent, still get it now. It's like, yeah, nobody can see what's going on in the inside. And um, unfortunately, that is our, like our demon to deal with. It's our kind of thing to, to deal with is like, how do we express our own inability to express that to other people? And it is, that's where music, artistry, healing, uh, and all these other things mm -hmm. come in. Because only through those, in, in my opinion, can you then express yourself to the world um, through other subconscious means. You know, like now, I mean, I where I live now, yeah, I've got guitar back there. I've got two saxophones. I've got a mandolin. I've got flutes and things. I can't play anything here because because of, of the neighbours. I can't, and that's been the the situation for the past few years. I, I have I have all this music inside of me, and it's like it's got nowhere to come out. You know, especially at the moment. Come to Colorado. Come spend a month with us in Colorado. I'd love to, man. Yeah. I'm actually, I, I, I mean, I mean, the, the nice thing, David, is that I'm being given the green light to yeah. to to bring together participants in a in a in this in this program yeah and yeah. so i have some friends in the states here who mm -hmm. that that would be a, 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 a something that very could save their life yeah yeah well i mean i'd, I'd, I'd happily come yeah if it could be arranged and uh you know I, I can talk all day long about this to anybody and especially regards with healing because i work in the background of like isui shikirayoho uh japanese um reiki and angelic reiki and all kinds of psychic healing and different stuff, uh, do transmediumship, all kinds of weird stuff. That it's, it's all based in healing. And that is the one thing I love more than anything else. Because if you, if you can hold space with somebody in a, a private healing, and uh, you, can, you, you can do miracles in a, in a sense, where it's in regard to that person, um, but they have to be ready to heal. And they have to be, as, as uh, <laughs> Hippocrates said, they have to be willing to give up. The things that caused the problem as well so when you do that and you find the right energetic frequency vibrational healing methods you, you can leapfrog modern medicine just all day long but people are um, uh, yeah people are waking up to this now they are but it's, it's going to be in the years to come where they'll, they'll realize that well actually yeah this is how it should be and um, you know the whole pharmaceutical industry will have to 
take a back seat. And I refer again to a wonderful book for anybody who reads out there as well, which is uh, Amit Goswami, uh, The Quantum Doctor. Uh, all of his books are amazing. He's just like, he, he works he's out of Berkeley, uh, works out of Berkeley. He's an Indian chap, uh, he's a quantum, mm-hmm. quantum scientist. And his book, Quantum Doctor, he talks about utilizing every single tool available. Uh, he talks about Ayurvedic medicine, Western medicine, allopathic medicine, homeopathic, everything. And he's like, well, the new paradigm has to come very soon. And the old paradigm, which roughly started about 1910 with the Flexner report, where they d- destroyed all the naturopaths and, and natural medicine um, for political means, has to kind of be passing away soon. So at the moment, we're kind of in a bridge between the two worlds. Where this fits into recovery from brain injury and uh, post-concussion syndrome is that I firmly believe that people can heal. That's it. And, you know, you maybe never heal 100%, but 90%, 95% has got to be better than the current 10, 15, 20%. You know, you know when I was at Spalding, uh, when I said that I had a superstar neurologist, he literally wrote the book on neurology. Uh-huh. His name is Ross Zafont, Z-A-F-O-N-T-E. He'd okay. be a great guest for you to have on, actually. Yeah, well, He's the head of the Harvard Medical School. If you want to connect, connect me with any of these people, I'd be more than happy to talk to them and, and to have a, them on as guests. I mean, I keep thinking of people. I keep thinking of people that, that would be great for you to interview. You can be my agent. You can be my agent. I'll give you 10%. Agent. Of nothing, <laughs> which is what I am for doing this. Of nothing. Just kidding. Just the, uh, um, yeah. But yeah, no. I'll... So, so he, what he told me that he told me when I first saw him, he said, John, why don't we have as our goal that we'll improve you by 25%? And I grabbed uh, it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 25%. But, and that's the, basically the epitome of the traditional Western medical model because it's Harvard. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, oh. I'm, I'm, I'm totally in agreement with you. What I'm saying is, I, as a, a layman, an uneducated person, left school at 15, didn't really get on academically and couldn't, there was some stuff like music and English and art and I, I do with the creative side. I left school at 15, I did get like seven or eight uh, GCSEs, which are the exams we have here. Went straight to work through pressures, family pressures. Um, but I then realised over the years that I was an autodidact, that I, I could teach myself things and learn all by means a different route, but I would study and, and put into practice and, and demonstrate to myself where I could do something. Oh, I'd fail many times. So many times I'd get stuff wrong and fuck up and cock up and you'd be like, yeah, but eventually I'd get there. So I've always been that way and I've only got to do this because I've been determined and had to do it. Whereas mm-hmm. if I was more academic, I may have been to some extent programmed with other people's beliefs about brain injury and may have never experienced it myself. So mm-hmm. it's it, it simply, well, what you're saying, how the way that you're doing things, you guys are doing things over there and the way you're approaching, look at things, it, it fits into my mindset perfectly. So yeah, I'll, I'll come to Colorado, <laughs> but yeah, I might need some help to get there. <laughs> I might need to well, like, we you could know, do, we could stow away on a boat. <laughs> I might, I, might need to, you know, I might need to work passage or something, I don't know. But yeah, no, um, <laughs> I would absolutely love to do that. And, that, uh, you know, the people that you, you, you're describing as well, they sound like my kind of people too. Whereas, mm. yeah, at times here in, in the UK, I've been kind of like, at times I've been the lone voice 
the crazy lunatic mm. kind of speaking up against the system and, and decrying it and saying, well, it's bollocks. And some people have gone, yeah, you're absolutely right. But others have just like turned their back on me. And those ones are the ones in the system. So it's like, well, yeah, you don't want to hear it. Uh, especially from a lunatic like me. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah, no, I think, yeah, eventually I'll get called in the right direction like you did. But for me, it's just taken, for some reason, for personal reasons, it's taken a lot longer. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, there's got to be a point for me where I say, okay, I'm doing the right things, purporting the right things and saying the right things, but I'm just simply in the wrong environment. <laughs> the wrong like, environment. Well, so. I mean, just, I mean, it's so sad to me to see musical instruments in your apartment that you don't feel free to blow I through I because you'll get a knock on the, you'll get a knock on the wall. Yeah, I can't. And you I know, can't. you've got to, if you're a musician, you've got to play. It, it's, that is like you say, saying about killing your spirit. I mean, I've got, I, I, right. I started playing saxophone when I was 11 years old. Um, I'm like 40, 46 now, 47 next year. And it's like, I've got a beautiful tenor saxophone and a curved soprano, which is a Swiss made one. I've got a guitar, I've got a mandolin, I've got a, like flute. I need, I need a musician. I can't play Actually, any of them. Because oh. I would get, I would get, yeah, I'd get so much hassle. But you know how though, right? Oh yeah, shit, you know it's all there. Yeah, so you know how, so you just can't play them because of the noise factor. Yeah, and I can't. So, so that, that would be music is going to be a big part of these retreats oh, yeah, so yeah. so Che is, is relegating to me not only the the whole neurotrauma part yeah. and i'll be going through the treatment as well but also leading the music mm. music and 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 uh she's going to have a, a chef there for the month and uh, Blimey, and, and, and to make the point to make the point that our food should be our medicine yeah everything coming oh, yeah. out of the kitchen is going to be highly nutritious involving superfoods oh man oh man <laughs> and I so play... so bring your instruments and any instruments you don't have we'll we'll provide because we that's yeah, going to be a big I, part of these recruits. I, I could i could probably kind of try and play just about anything to express i mean i play a pretty mean blues harp as well uh but again i can't well that's that what i'm gonna need because I, I i'm a blues guitar i'll be your harpist man yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm not much of a guitarist okay well you but... Uh, yeah, but now okay. Well, on December first, we're 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 gonna um. <laughs> so Che is driving to Kansas. That's the big news. Right, In a couple okay. of weeks, Che is gonna be here for a week, mm. and um and she's bringing her son, uh, uh, Ian. Okay. Uh, Ian, who's who's he, you'll see him on LinkedIn. He's called the soil, um, the soil, the soil cowboy consultant. Okay. And so he knows <laughs> all about soil. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. All about oh, growing. Oh. But he's also a singer. And so oh. he and I have been getting to know each other on, on mm. these Zoom calls. So, I, you know, I want to I tell you how you can learn more about this Cultivating Wellness Center because I do want you to be a part of it. Yeah, on probably, my, yeah. There's a Facebook page uh, called the Bison Foundation. Mm -hmm. And on, on the Bison Foundation Facebook page, you'll see on the wall there's two Zoom calls recorded. You'll meet Shay. Okay, you'll meet yeah, Ian. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You'll meet yeah. uh, you'll meet Dr. Vicky Beinecke from South Carolina, mm -hmm. who yeah. spent a week in Colorado with Shay, just learning what Shay knows. Mm -hmm. And uh, also on the Facebook wall, you'll see us in Levita. You'll see me oh, playing my right, guitar. Okay. You'll yeah. see Shay. Oh, yeah. We're really coming together. Yeah. It is like the Manhattan Project now that I think of it, but it's the opposite because <laughs> it's not about mass destruction. 
It's about mass healing. Mass healing. Well, that's that's, that's mass yeah, healing. one of the, yeah. that's the best sentiment ever. So uh, thank you for that. I will we'll definitely look at that. So right, let's bring, just bring this back around to the general topics that we're on. Uh, so we, we've talked about yeah. you, you speaking and general healing, everything, art, artistry, uh, creativity, music. Um, so where do you see yourself going forwards in terms of the Bison Foundation and the projects that you're doing? Yeah, what's, yeah, what's I'm, next? I'm on the verge of. Um, I I feel like over the past uh, eight and a half years mm. since I had the vision for it mm. that it's just been more detail and more. It's complex. It's yeah. like seven watches in its complexity, and so I'm I'm feeling the need at this point to turn it over to to someone very very strong administratively so that I yeah, can because yeah. mm-hmm. um, that those that that doesn't play to my strengths at all mm. the executive functioning I need to yeah. uh, I'm feeling God leading me to um, express myself musically mm. and and he is he is assuring me that um, that the musical communication will come more easily to me than the spoken communication yeah, although yeah. there would be plenty of that too because I'm a bit of a talker <laughs> you and me both no, that, you know, that... I do have an illustration for the, for, for the role music is playing as a result of this and I think it, some people in your audience might might really relate relate to it. Yeah. Um, this oh, was yeah. a this was a few years ago. So I've been playing guitar since I was fifteen, and so I probably have put in the ten thousand hours of mastery. Okay. Wow. Um, so I'm, I'm so I'm, uh, I used to I used to go out for these late night walks here in rural Kansas, hmm. and I've met many, I've met a lot of very very interesting people, which is a, a wild understatement. Oh yeah. Several of my friends <laughs> are uh, several of my friends are what you might call charismatic Christian. And so they speak in tongues oh, uh, yeah. that are basically what they would call an angelic language. Nothing that we can figure out or, no, no. or understand, but, but they're, they're convinced that God is um, awakening their spirit and the spirit is verbalizing things that only God and angels can understand. So right. I'm walking along in the middle of the night and I'm, and I'm talking to God, as I often do. I just say, so what's the deal with my friends, Vicky and Sarah? They, 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 they claim this special intimacy with me. With tongues, what, what, what's, why don't I have that? And I felt him say, I didn't hear anything audible, but mm-hmm. I felt the spirit say, "You're a musician. That's uh, how those. That's yeah. your tongues. Yeah, yeah. So you're improvising a guitar solo. That's your tongues. And so from that moment, and it's been maybe four years now, my my guitar playing is um, at, at a different. I approach. I, yeah. I approach it differently. Mm. I approach it like it's a musical instrument that only comes to life when I touch it. Mm. And you could touch the same instrument; it'll sound entirely different. Oh yeah, yeah. And he's, 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 and so I feel as though there's musical ministry. I think he's got me. Yeah. I think he's no, preparing think... me for what a musical ministry, so my music can heal people. I think most great singers or musicians have, have that power channeled through them, but they don't always realize or consciously say where it's come from. But to, to know where it is coming from it is then you know a real blessing. And, uh, you know, I, yeah, I felt that often, but it, it's like after I moved house and moved in here recently, um, I, I, I kind of, because as, as a medium, a connector spirit, and they just saying to me, they kept, I was like, keep wanting to sing, <laughs> and they're like, you have to relieve the tension. And then they just go to me, get singing lessons, get singing lessons. And I've been meaning, I've wanted to do this for years, but never ever got to that. And then, like, well, I better look for a teacher. And then it's like, well, hang on a minute. Uh, these days they're all doing it on Zoom, so it's like, well, I couldn't do that here in the 
like because it pissed people off again it's the same thing so it's like yeah i need to find somebody yeah. like you know go and stand in the woods or whatever and, and somebody teach me to sing right. in that old school so i'm still i'm still looking for that so if anybody's listening and he's in that west yorkshire area um yeah just let me know if you want to like there's some lovely woodlands around here we can go see teach me sing in the middle of the there woods you go. well nobody, you go. nobody could get pissed off really um so anyway yeah that that's by the by uh, but yeah i understand what you mean and i think this is again coming back to healing from the trauma the post-traumatic troubles of brain injury uh this is where that expression of creativity really really truly comes into force because if you don't have the outlet as i found you end up internalizing that frustration and it's like well you know, if you had a practice room somewhere, you could join a band or a group or, or get to just get together with people around a fire or, you know, whatever. You'd find yeah, it, that the, the, the pain would just flow out of you. But unfortunately, um, you know, what I'm concerned, it's like, well, yeah, I have to sing. I have to like sing when I'm walking down the street or <laughs> when there's no one around. I'm just like, ah. And I'm, you know, rarely in tune or, or not always in tune, but it's like, well, yeah, you have to get it out somehow. And so, yeah, in different types of therapy, music therapy and so on for brain injury, if you combine that in as well, and sound healing and, and, and energy healing, then that, that to me is more powerful than any drug could ever be, um, mm. apart from one or two odd psychedelics that could help. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, so... We, we talked about you touched on your book a little bit and, and the, the writing of your book, uh, John. Um, do you feel like that you've finished writing now, or do you think that that's just going to come in time when when more things have developed? There's going to be a, a, like a, a, a second chapter to that story. Yeah. So so, um, yeah, it, it was it was five years in the, in the writing with my co-author Laura Ricard, mm -hmm. and um, uh, it would have been easier if it had been a six hundred page book. It was you know we cut out a lot of stuff, yeah. a lot of mm -hmm. redundant examples, yeah. for example. Yeah. So I certainly have enough material for a second book along the same lines. But I think okay. what I need to what I what my, but my sequel is that poster I sent you with the keyboard on it. The uh, sequel yeah, yeah. deals more with post traumatic stress and traumatic brain injury it's called the title of it is called neuroplastic cities which is a play on the word neuroplasticity yeah. so neuroplastic cities colon <laughs> looking beyond hospitals and medical schools for neurotherapy yeah because you and i we're, we're dropped in this new life with no guidebook no I mean, what are the standards of excellence in this field we don't know yet because we're so far behind you can put a man on the moon but you can't but we don't we don't understand the human brain and that's, that's what Bison Foundation is going to turn its attention to, is understanding what neurotrauma is, how you diagnose it, and how you treat it. Yeah, and it's like you say, we, we each of us write our own story on the, on the road to the, the pathway. It's like a map. It's like we're trying to draw our own map of how to get there before we even kind of realize what the destination is. And the destination is as, as complete healing journey and a process as we can possibly manifest and that that is the unknown territory when you think about these so-called great explorers like captain cook and all these others and all they, they kind of they're traversing the world and kind of like you know the new world we found this we found 
you didn't find anything. It was already there, and there was people living there. there. But from a Western right. point of view, it's like, well, you know, aren't these great explorers? I mean, look what happened to Captain Cook. <laughs> what did happen to Captain Cook? Well, Captain Cook um, ended up in Hawaii, which is Hawaii now, and um, the Hawaiians had a god called Lono. It was a, an old king of theirs. Um, Lono was a bit of a, a lad, and um, he he and his wife, uh, his wife was Pele, um, used to argue quite a bit and used to be you know quite feisty. Uh, and one day he accidentally killed her in a fight. And, uh, yeah, I know. Whoops! This is, this is like you know Hawaiian mythology. So he accidentally Sorry. killed her, and then in kind of like shame and guilt, he um, left his throne or whatever, and, and kind of went around the islands uh, doing like bare knuckle boxing and taking on any challenger. He must have been kind of full of guilt and rage, and he would just like fight people, and he'd always win. And he just kind of like went, on. and at one point he just went, "I've had enough of this." And he apparently got on some giant chi- triangular raft or boat and and left the islands. And he said, "I'm leaving now, but someday I'm coming back." And uh, he just disappeared. And so, for centuries and centuries and God knows how how long, the uh, Hawaiians had um, been waiting for Lono to return. And wow. uh, when Captain Cook turned up in his big galleon, they automatically thought that it was Lono. And um, um. they started this dialogue with him and so on. And at one point, um, it kind of turned a bit sour uh, for, for old Cookie. And um, they kind of hacked him to pieces and then delivered uh. and kept him for several days and, and kept some parts of him as souvenirs. And then he eventually took the rest back to his crew and said, look, we're really sorry, but, you know, we kind of, you know, <laughs> that you can have the rest of him back. And, uh, you know, well, thanks for coming. See you later. And then before I left, they just went, well, um, let us know when Lono's going to return. <laughs> so it was like, that's Captain Cook. He was just done for. So, yeah, the, wow. in terms of exploring uh, and going into the new world, yeah, sometimes it's like that. In, in brain injury terms, the analogy is, well, actually, you don't know where you're going and you can end up getting savaged, basically, <laughs> like, like like Captain Cook. Well, by, and, you know, in the, the military has a term, friendly fire. Yeah, yeah. So in a lot of ways, you know, the, the medications they're giving us, we're, we're dying by friendly fire. Yeah, well, I, hydrogenic deaths, like I've said before in a preamble talk, are massive and they're, they're not covered in mainstream media they're not covered in popular media because it's such a massive problem that if people really realized and knew about it then they'd be horrified and um hydrogenic deaths or, or death by doctor death by mis mismedication or whatever you want you know through surgery whatever you want to call it is a real phenomenon you can check this out yourself this is not hypothesis it's not theory it's fact so hydrogenic deaths exceed deaths from many of the causes, like um, obviously firearms and heart attacks and cancer and stuff like that. It's a real thing that people die all the time, and it's usually covered up by coroners and um, uh, so on. I've, I have friends that passed from hydrogenic death uh, through drugs, and uh, allopathic drugs, and it was just covered up as death by natural causes on this adventure. And this goes on every single day, and uh, it's just it's horrific. Where's uh, the culpability? There Will there come a day when 
will be because, held responsible you know, for the misdiagnosis. Yeah, but the, the whole thing's hidden behind a wall of lawyers and uh, people that work in the system that just they're just trained not to entertain it. So unfortunately, mm -hmm. yeah, people die every day from legal drugs and and um, the iatrogenic deaths, and nobody even bats an eyelid barely. Um, it, 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 it's tough to deal with. So, but yeah, it is a subject that's that's um, obviously very raw for me because I've lost people for that reason, and yeah. uh, I'll never get them back, right. and there will never be any justice for mm -hmm. them. Uh, and those people mm -hmm. that have prescribed these drugs wrongly and done that stuff, just oblivious. So, yeah. uh, anyway, moving along. <laughs> so yeah, uncharted territory. So we are heading into uncharted territory, and that's one of the main reasons that. I, I was so looking forward to, to doing this video cast and podcast with you as well because you, you have one way of looking at things and um, I needed to learn from you. And I think the people listening as well um, will find that, yeah, that there's, there's, there's many different ways that we can tackle these issues rather than just the ones that they think are out there or are available. What do you think, John? Well, I want to be able to to, uh, to to give you some reasons for hope because, as I said, oh, I'm yeah. very optimistic. Mm -hmm. um, so, on the Facebook page for the Bison Foundation, pinned to the top, uh, I describe project number one and project number two. Mm -hmm. And these projects are not limited to the United States of America. Okay. If we can get the funding, we can bring these projects to England and and everywhere. But so, let me explain what yeah. project number one is. It's called the Bison Brave, the Bi and I describe it there. The Braid are three people who come to a shut-in's house, mm -hmm. first starting with people with traumatic brain injuries. And by the way, now people know what it's like to be a shut-in. Okay? Uh, yeah, people yeah. are gonna be very responsive. Oh, yeah. to, and so the Bison Braid yeah. is basically, think of it as in-home healthcare. Mm -hmm. Think of it as people who are elderly who don't wanna move to a nursing home, they wanna die in their own homes. Yeah, and that's yeah. the truth for most people. Yeah. So in-home healthcare, uh, preferably until the time they die. Mm -hmm. And so the Bison Braid are three people. And these three roles often fall to a, to the spouse or significant other, and that's partly why the divorce rate's so high. So yeah, these three yeah. roles need to be accounted for in, a, in the life of a shut-in. Number one is the bureaucrat. So this might be a retired accountant or somebody with time on his hands uh, to take care of incoming mail, all of the bureaucracy of that person's life, so that they can go to a doctor and say, I'm not tense, I'm not depressed, I'm not anxious about my paperwork mm -hmm. because I got the bison break. Yeah. This person comes in, and remember those five areas? Yeah. Uh, operational those five areas. Yeah. That's part of the brave. So think of the huge relief. If you knew that every other Tuesday, these three people are coming to be with you, yeah. and that's going to be one of the things. The second person is like the feng shui, the, the, the living environment, the restoring dignity. I have friends who are living in squalor, and yeah. they know it, and yeah. there's nothing they can do about it because of their injury, the executive functioning. I have footage of it. Mm. And so the second person yeah. is that restoring dignity to the shut-in by and and there's also a nutritional aspect so they would bring like frozen uh nutritional dinners for their mm, freezer yeah. and so they just help them live their, their new life of uh, so they're not living in squalor and watch the suicide rate come down oh the yeah, third person yeah. if the third person is all about the eye contact playing dominoes playing cards no mm. screen time looking at that person's yeah. photo albums, yeah. being that person's friend. It, yeah. And if we can't yeah. get volunteers to be a friend, we'll pay them, okay? And that's what <laughs> the foundation can do. Companions, you know, we'll yeah. Shame, 
Not to shame anybody, but no, if no, we no. can't get anybody to volunteer to be somebody's friend, we'll pay him. So that's the bison braid, and I describe it at the top of the page, the Facebook page. The second project is what we're talking about, these retreats, where we bring to bear everything we know about healing. And yeah. so, um, yeah. so, so I can envision there being a bison UK, let's call it. And I have, I have uh, other friends there who, yeah. who are either, either in brain injury or not, mm -hmm. and if we can pull together... And so I think that's a way I can be helpful. The Bison Foundation can be helpful to you. So let's use you as an example. If you were the recipient of the Bison Braid and you had three people walking alongside you in this new life journey of yours, mm -hmm. let's say they come to you twice a month, would that help you get through the month? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, to me, it's a, it's, a, it's a great concept. I mean, the fact that is you pick up on the areas where yeah, you're talking about things that I've experienced in the past. I mean, I'm talking about I lost my my home, my job, everything. For any, I, I, would, yeah. I was in I was in poverty. I was on the street, so I was kind of like homeless. I had no, and there was no help whatsoever. But the little things that you mentioned, are just that that human contact, somebody taking an interest, whether they're paid or not, it doesn't matter. But the people, only people I came across were just like mercenary. They were just like you know, and it was it was horrible. I don't know. Some days I look back, I don't know how I survived that, but I did, and it was just, yeah, it's not not pleasant. But yeah, I think we've got a real epidemic here in the UK. Let's not mince words about this, John. It's is is fucking horrendous, and it goes into the prison systems mostly. And I've written written articles on this for the blog and stuff as well. Prison uh, reform. Yeah, uh, prison, prison reform. But then that, that all goes it's back to. Yeah, you go through any prison here in the UK that I would say that 70% or more of inmates would have had concussions, malgenetic brain injury, post-concussion syndrome, which leads, of course, to many problems, as we know. So it's a social problem, but it's one that's not willing yeah. to tackle. Politically, it's not even on the radar. So, yeah, if you started to tackle it at the ground level, you, you could make a, a real difference. Unfortunately, what's happened? what happens here in the UK is every support project, everything that's meant to help people is usually partitioned out by the government and it's done on a corporate basis. So they end up putting these people in positions that are supposed to help people, but all they're bothered about is the career or the job or getting advancement. And they don't actually help anybody, or if they do it's by accident or because they have to do it out of duty. They don't really have any interest in, in, in re helping reform what's going on it's, it's a very sad state of affairs but on the plus side of that yeah if you can if you can find a way uh to cut them out of the situation you know and just to, just to do your own thing then yeah you can probably help people heal and get on with their lives um i never had that like i said i had to just mumble along on my own until i could could find my way out of the maze i'm still kind of you know like, i want i want to I want to introduce you to Annie Ricketts on the Isle of Wight. She's I, I know her through just Facebook. Past... Yeah, I know her through Facebook, okay, but I've okay. never met her. You know, so. because, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I she and I became very close friends in 2012. Yeah. Uh, I stayed with her twice down there in her in her granddaughter's guest room, yeah. and um, and so so she and I got got to know each other very well, and mm -hmm. and uh, she's she's starting a new blog and she's starting uh, some initiative. And and I, and I and I am serious about pulling together other 
other uh, brain injury and, and basically health advocates there in the UK. Yeah. And, um, and let's, all just, let's all collect best, best practices and, and, sh and learn from each other. That's where the real learning happens is from survivors ourselves. Yeah, and it is what I set out to do when I created the PCS Awareness Worldwide was, I mean, it says on the blog to this day, is like that my ideal goal is to create a network of people, not necessarily just working with each other, but joined together. In a, in a holistic sense, in, in a sense yeah. that they're kind of joined together through uh, cross-communication, through dialogue, through everything else. And that would be, and I set out to try to build, and it, it's, it's gradually, because we had the, the guys in Holland and Denmark who have done so well, and they're far more educated than I'll ever be, and they're like, they, they've got degrees and stuff, and they went on national TV and in Denmark and that. They're, now they're, they're, they're kind of flying with what they do. But they took their inspiration from what I'd done and then they just took it in a different direction because they were more educa academically educated and had more connections. And, you know, we have like a, a concussion management community groups between these different places and in um, Australia, New Zealand, Canada and so on as well. And I'm constantly meeting new people as well that, that want to join in. So it just seems like, yeah, it's almost like neurogenesis. Like the forming of new neural pathways, but throughout the entire globe, isn't it? It's, and it's, it's happened interesting over 15 it, yeah. years. It's like it, it, interesting metaphor as above, yeah. so below. And it's like, well, yeah, and it's taken all this time, and it's just going to keep growing stronger and stronger. So, if you're listening to this at home or watching this at home, uh, yeah, you know, if if you've only recently been injured or if you've only recently encountered uh, suffering post concussion syndrome, then you're probably in a much better place now going forwards to be able to tackle it and there's much more independent support don't always think of looking to the state or the, the, the traditional medical healthcare system because they will just lead you on a merry dance um, but there are you know there's like John and others and, and people that will, will help people and guide people through wisdom and, and experience on a different level you know, there's all this talk on the internet, Facebook, about support groups. We're a support group. We're a support group. And, and like on our group, it says, this is not a support group. The first thing <laughs> it says in the description, this is not a support group. We are here to raise awareness. We are here to kind of guide and, and help, help each other. But you can't offer support over Facebook just like that. It's not something, if you think about the word support, it means to hold somebody up. Right, you can give mm -hmm. words of encouragement. You can give advice, recommendations, and so on, but that to me is not actual physical support. So what you you purport and what you do is like you're saying, yeah, we'll we'll do this. We'll actually support people in practical ways, in many ways. So that's why practical that's ways. why I have that yeah. caveat first thing. And there are so many groups on Facebook where this is post concussion support group, support group. You can't get support there. You can get advice and opinions and, and kind of uh, agony ants and sympathy and empathy and whatnot, but you can't get support there. At the end of the day, once you close, you, know, uh, you shut your computer down, or close your laptop or whatever, at the end of the day, that whatever you've got from Facebook is done. Yeah, if you're in the middle of the night, you can't sleep or whatever's going on, that, you know, they can't really support you. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm splitting hairs now, but that's my caveat as well. Well, you know, in, in one of my early presentations, <laughs> I had several slides just devoted to support groups. And it was, a, it was a picture of a pack of cigarettes. And it said, oh, yeah. support groups should come with a warning, like on a pack of cigarettes. Because what <laughs> yeah. happened to me was, 
uh, you know, when I, my first time going to a support group, I swore I'd never go back. Yeah. Because what happened is, um, uh, uh, and, and, I, and I did go back, and they became good <laughs> friends of mine. But initially, initially, right. no. Uh, what happened was, I, I was the new guy, and mm -hmm. so I was meeting everybody, and yeah. I got talking to two guys, two right. other guys. Mm -hmm. And they were both in the middle of very, very painful divorces after about seven or eight years of oh, their injury. Right. Okay. And plus their condition was worse than mine. Mm. And I thought, and I became, so the dynamic of it became, I was their support. So yeah, I was saying, you know, yeah. I was, because I wasn't as far bad off as them, but, no. the, but, the, 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 but I left that meeting depressed because I said, that's not me. I'm going to get better within a year and nothing's going to happen to my marriage. Mm. Well, after 33 years, we did split up, you know? And so, and, but I did go back to the support group, but, 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 I, I, and the sharing of best practices is so important. But a very specific example is, um, you know, my, my care was at Spalding Rehab, as I said, at Harvard Medical School Teaching Hospital. But, but I had a meeting at this, at my support group meeting, and I said, does anybody else have a problem with looking at a computer? And everyone's like, oh, yeah, sure, yeah, computer, no. And, and real, okay, so I'm, okay. And then so one of them said, yeah, so what you have to do is you buy these sunglasses with blue tint. Yeah, yeah. And we'll look at the computer. And so this was back in like 2005, five six when there's a lot of ones and zeros <laughs> yeah, floating yeah, around, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? We didn't have the high def screen. And it was sickening, rather nauseating yeah, yeah. to, 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 to be in front of a screen. So that's an example of learning from each other more than from the clinicians who went to school. Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and this is the thing. This is this is the whole only way I've recovered is just learning from other people and, and learning from books and from study and research and so on as well. I, I never had any contact with a clinician. I think once was a so-called neuropsychologist. And the only reason, after like nine years of trying to get to see, the only reason I was allowed to see this chap was because I wanted to reapply for my driving license. Uh, because I'd been on painkillers and that, they took it off me. Uh, and, and then this, I want to reply for it, and like, well, well, we'll send you to see a new neuropsychologist, seeing you've had these problems. So I went to see this chap, and he had zero clue about brain injury whatsoever. He just had no fucking idea whatsoever. I think I had one or two mm -hmm. sessions with him, and I just, I just leveled with him. I said, look, right, clearly, I'm not going to get what I need from you. It's possibly too late. So can you just agree that? Uh, and he was getting kind of frustrated because I was asking questions about stuff he had no idea about. And he was like, I could see him kind of like... You're embarrassing him. I was embarrassing right? him. I, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. but no, I just, didn't mean to. <laughs> in the end, I just said, right, let's let's make a like a little fireside deal here. Okay. You write me a letter to say I can have my driving license back or whatever, and I'll leave you alone. And he went... Right, he just like looked for his notepad and he was like, deal, yeah. <laughs> ding, ding. <laughs> yeah, that was it. And he was like, please get this fucking fruitcake out of my office. <laughs> and so what well, should you I... know, I think doctors are, are encountering well, more and more yeah, people you, who have gone to you, web, webmd.com and come, yeah, come yeah. to the doctor's office with a load of opinions. And uh, yeah, don't, people, don't doctors get, have to have their act together. Don't uh, get me started on that again. They're people too. Don't get me started on that again. They are people <laughs> too, yeah, no. But what happens here in the UK, the GPs here, they don't really have much training on medicine. And what they do is they have, uh, do actually have a search engine, which is provided by, uh, software is provided by the drug companies. So what they do is they'll sit and talk to you. Then they'll turn to the computer 
or type in your symptoms, whatnot, and then it will boost them up a list of what drugs it can give you, and then they'll narrow it down and just prescribe you that. So it's kind of like you might as well go to a vending machine uh, or something. Yeah. Can I get? Can I recommend a book to you? Yeah. Yeah. Please look book. Uh, okay. So I I read this <laughs> book about around. four or five years. Huh? <laughs> Apart from your own, which I, I haven't started reading yet, but oh, I'm oh, going to do. Oh, did I mention this book? Did I mention? Yeah. No, okay. you sent me uh, you sent me a, so, a Kindle copy, but I just haven't. I, not the I PDF, just, yeah. I only got my internet connected yesterday, and I haven't had a chance to put it on the Kindle yet. So it's like, yeah. It's, oh, okay. I'm going to be reading it very soon. Sorry, go on. Okay, so so this was about four or five years ago when I wasn't reading anything, but I couldn't put it down. It's the name of it is Unhinged, and it has a subtitle that I don't remember. But it's by Dr. Daniel Carlat, C-A-R-L-A-T. He has a private practice up in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Uh And um, so this book, Unhinged, the first half of it is basically his confession that that when you're in private practice as a psychiatrist, uh, you're faced with a decision. You can either see four patients in an hour and prescribe or see one patient in an hour and do talk therapy. Hmm, let's see. Uh, Gotta pay the rent. So and, and so and so you're yeah. being courted by yeah. these pharmaceutical reps that whine and dine and lobster you in New York City, right? Then you go back to your private practice and they're keeping tabs on you. Yeah. They're saying they're yeah. gonna notice when you did or did not prescribe their med and they'll remind you of what you owe them basically. And so it's a dirty business. He <laughs> he comes clean on it, and then the second half of the book is basically a way forward in the field of psychiatry. And I just was really impressed by it. I looked him up on LinkedIn. I think he started a newsletter of some kind. But he'd be an excellent guest. He'd be an excellent guest. John, anybody that I can connect with, and um, if you could facilitate that, it's always excellent because it gives the people listening and uh, and watching these podcasts and vidcasts, it gives them a whole different scope. I mean, sometimes podcasting and things can be a bit straight-laced, but as you can see from my method, I'm just like, it's like we could be we could be just sat sat you know in the pub having a chat. Life's too short, isn't it? <laughs> life's too, life's too life's short, too short to be straight laced and to be too formal. I think, and yeah. I think people that listen appreciate that. They know, they know me by now. This is episode fifty, and it's like, yeah, he's a, he's a bit loon, but he's he's okay. His heart's in the right place generally. <laughs> so yeah, no anybody no, anybody, my, anybody I'm, I'm, you can among my people. <laughs> yeah, my my people. Yeah, I feel like Lono. <laughs> Um, so yeah, any any anybody that you you know, we can connect together. Oh, I, I can think of a lot of people, David. In uh, that I case, think. I, we'll I mean, get them fine. you know, because <laughs> you know we're we're on the same page in so many yeah. ways from complete from so many different uh, d- directions. Our life our lives have been so different, and yeah, yet yeah. you know, I mean, th- there's a who I consider to be one of the godfathers of neurotrauma rehabilitation is Dr. Wayne Gordon in New York City at Mount Sinai oh, Medical Center, yeah, Dr. Yeah. Wayne Gordon. Um, yeah, when, when, I, when, I was, when I was realizing that Spalding could only do so much with me, mm-hmm. um, there's a chapter in my book called David, and it's not you, but um, no. it's, it's a David who, <laughs> Common who name. Had, reached out, had reached out to me after my son's <laughs> film went on YouTube. This, the film is called You Look Great, and uh, it's in six parts, part one of six, part two of six, um, but David, David uh, was a real fan of the film, and 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 really encouraged me during the writing of the book. So I devoted a chapter to him, 
He got his brain injury in a library of all places. Oh. He was a, he was studying to be a li, li, a li, li, library science in San Francisco. Okay, yeah. And he was sitting on the floor of a crowded library, and somebody had um, pulled the top drawer of a file cabinet out, and David um, uh, just stood up quickly, and he never never oh, was the same. Oh, jeez. He had been a dancer. He had been a, a he had been oh. just. And so, and so, and so, and so, and so, and so, I was telling him about my experience that uh, I was being denied access to my recovery team. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so he researched and suggested that I get in touch with Wayne Gordon. And so I did. I I, I contacted him, and we were on the phone. Mm. And I told him about my experience at Spalding. And here's what's interesting: when you when you uh, I, I mentioned Dr. Ross Zafant earlier. Yeah, if you look yeah. him up, he's uh, he's he's the one that's entrusted with hundreds of millions of dollars in grant money mm. from the Department of Defense, from the NFL, and I was part of some of his clinical trials. I was part of some of his studies, okay. which some of which did not go well, yeah. but I was committed. So Dr. Zafant, yeah. you know, wrote the textbook on neurology. So when I was talking to Dr. Wayne Gordon, he said, "I'm sorry to hear that Spalding isn't uh, able to." take you the next step basically and he okay. told me about his program which it was cognitive behavioral therapy but the interesting oh, yeah. thing was he said i'm sorry to hear that about spalding because he said ross was was an intern under him ross Zafant was an intern under wayne gordon which tells you oh, something okay. about the, yeah, the, the, uh, the grandness uh, of the the the, um, the the significance of of dr wayne gordon's work yeah and so um and so uh i guess i i say that because um I kind of forgot why 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 I brought up Wayne Gordon. I guess because there there are certain giants in the field who need to be recognized. Who if who and they and they yeah. stood on shoulders of giants. But you and I, man, we're not about to go to med school. No, um, no we, we have no intention of doing that. But there are still giants out there who have done great work. Yeah, but it's this yeah. idea of willful ignorance that gets me when these medical schools yeah. are so well funded. But 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 are they are they? Are they in the pocket of deep of big farm? Well, that, they, there are some hard questions that have to be asked because it's well, a dirty business. Yeah, well, this all goes back to 1910, the Flexner report. Uh, was it Alfred Flexner? I forget his first name. I always forget his first name. I think it was Alfred, or Al, Al, Albert Flexner, and uh, he was set up and funded by the Rockefellers and the Carnegies. So what they did was they went around the entire United States and area, and they looked at all the medicinal schools were in, in existence at that time so the homeopathic there was massage there was naturopathic there was uh, sound all kinds of different stuff herbalism and so on and they he compiled this report and basically at that time uh, uh, pharmaceutical medications were, were emerging as a force for you could market and profit whatever you wanted so what they did was basically went round and basically put the kibosh and all these natural schools of medicine and, and said well unless you conform to what we want and we will fund you with this you know we will give you this money uh, more money than they'd ever seen in like years um you know you're going to have to to get this money you're going to have to conform and, and knock these natural rubbish on the head so after that like 1910 that's when the whole thing started to turn and it was all for profit all for money all for power all for for them to get a stranglehold on the whole medical system so if anybody wants to look into that this isn't just conjecture this is the flexner report this is how it all started in 1910 and since then that's when that's when the kind of evil little weevil 
of uh, the corporate industry got its way into the medical system. Before that, it was relatively okay, uh, but that's how it was seeded, uh, and that's how it was turned into the multi-hundred billion, you know, kind of profit-making machine it is today. Uh, whatever they make a year, I don't know, was it like three hundred billion or something, or plus more than that? They, they make every year from drugs. Yeah. It is it's, it's something ridiculous, like 300, 320 billion or more a year. It's probably more than that. It's, it, it's probably that more like four hundred billion or something. I don't know. Um, and it's like that's how it all started. So, yeah, think thinking back to that, it's like yeah, we need to get away from this now. It's had its chance and it's failed again and again and again. Yeah. It's killed yeah. so many people and yeah. it's not helping people yeah. with uh, any yeah. kind of traumatic brain injury. Yeah, we, you know, we, we, and we have a suicide crisis. Oh, yes, Especially yeah. among young people. Because, because yes. drugs have been the go-to solution. Yeah. And if it makes it worse, then yeah, we're, 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 we're losing people to, to suicide. We are. Um, yeah. I have, a, have another way of helping you guys, okay, mm-hmm. in the UK. Oh yeah. Um, if you go to if you go to the uh, Facebook page for the Bison Foundation in the middle of the night, I, I didn't sleep much last night. Uh, mm. I'm I'm going through a very creative period. Oh yeah. Over That's the past few, uh, f- f- some time now, happens, and so yeah. and I'm I'm collaborating with a woman named Cheryl Kempf mm-hmm. from Texas, and right, she would be yeah. an amazing guest guest for you to have on as well. So Cheryl <laughs> Kempf had, was a tra- was yeah. a brain injury survivor who got pulled over. Uh, under suspicion of being uh, driving while drunk okay. by a Texas right. p- patrol on a lonely country road. Mm. Well, she basically got manhandled, okay. spent the night in jail without able to call her husband. She's got photographs of bruises. And so, so she had been an accountant bef- uh, yeah. before her traumatic brain injury. Mm. This experience gave her clinical post-traumatic stress. Yeah. So, so she got mad, but she didn't try to get even by, no. by, by taking him to court. She's been working with police unions on training, training them on distinguishing between driving while under the influence of drugs or alcohol and driving with a traumatic brain injury. And yeah. that, and that, uh, so she and I are, are working together on. Uh, there's a you might have noticed um, that there's a defund the police movement here in this country because yes. of some horrible things that happen. Yeah, yeah. So we're 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 taking a different tack. Uh, you'll see posted on the Facebook page. Uh, we're, we're talking about funding the police, uh, state by state, uh, specifically with training. Education. Uh, in two areas. Yeah. Tra- training and education in two areas. Mm. One is what I just said, distinguishing between with tr- driving with a brain injury, where you might not be able to walk the straight line, but you can drive a car. And this, well, the, yeah, uh, the uh, yeah. peace, uh, peacekeeping and conflict resolution, mm, that yeah. training. And I'm, I'm, are you familiar with Mennonites and Amish? Uh, a little bit. Men- well, they yeah. have a very pacifist back, uh, yeah. uh, background and understanding of scripture. And so a lot of the, uh, and I joined the Mennonite church uh, four years ago mm. uh, at, here, here in Kansas. And um, we're, we, we, we have actual master's degree programs in peace and conflict resolution. And oh, so we, okay. would, we would design and develop the curriculum yeah. that would have credibility. And so, and so we're, we're, we're doing the hashtag fund KS police, KS is Kansas. I chose seven states out of the fifty. Just to focus on seven. <laughs> yeah. uh, and off the yeah. top of my head, let me try to re- let me try to remember what the seven funding the police states are. Go on, then. It's Kansas, Texas, New York, Massachusetts, California, New Mexico, and Michigan. 
Nice. Right, we're going to start there. <laughs> yeah, we're going we're right. to start with those seven states. Well, Funding those yeah, police. So how about this? Look with that, yeah. Fund UK police. How about fund UK police uh, in the same area? Yeah, there's, there's kind of some issues with that at the moment. Uh, okay. There's something I should know? Uh, they've been psychologically repurposed. Uh, they've been trained uh, in a specific way from the fusion doctrine, which is uh, depersonalize them. They've been using NLP and hypnosis, different things, um, basically to take away all of their empathy and turn them into um, command robots. Uh, they are basically corporate enforcers, but we've seen this changing over the last few years and, and it's getting fra to a frightening point where they've churned out an army of police officers who have no discernible emotional cognitive qualities other than to follow orders. It is frightening. I've seen it in action and uh, it is sinister. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I mean, maybe just stick to the US for now. Like John. Yeah, maybe just stick to the US for now. Uh, um, you know, well, it sounds like you need help. You know, it sounds uh, like yeah. Well, all right, I'll, just I'll just just focus on the US for now. But yeah, we'll leave by example. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of taken yeah quite a sinister turn over here, and there's a lot of example. Australia is similar. Uh, it really Australia. is. Yeah, it's, Australia's even I'm worse. It's even that. worse. Australia's Aus terrible. Australia, terrible, Australia, terrible, terrible. UK, I don't know what America, is going on they, in Australia. It's really sinister. There are certain it's, countries that are doing a lot of work in traumatic brain injury, and Australia is one of them in terms of. Um, yeah. Their, yeah. So I think they have an association, a brain injury association. Oh yeah, like yeah, in yeah. Australia, mm -hmm. and they host conferences. That I know. Yeah. So anyway, moving along from police. Don't want to concentrate on that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. Um, but yeah, no, no, it's good. No, no, it's good. It's good to hear what you're doing there, and I think you probably stand a much better chance there because um, the different types of police and rangers, troopers, and things, enforcement comes on different levels. Here, it's just like a unified uh, force of all the same type. So yeah, I, I wish do wish you a lot of luck with that, and I hope, that, I hope that's very successful. And it is the thing. Well, you know. It's getting over ignorance, isn't it? And within what is basically ignorance in that profession. And you know, if you can't breathalyze somebody to see if they're drunk and they're not, they don't show up with any alcohol in the system, you know they're not drunk. And if they're saying they've got a brain injury, you know, you can put reasonably put two and two together and get four. But you know, it doesn't always work like that in real life, does it? Some people are. Some people are. are they have a card now. They keep in their yeah. wallet. Mm -hmm. And it says, I have a traumatic brain injury, please be patient with me. Or yeah, it might yeah, say we, PTSD. This is it, yeah, I mean, here we have these, uh, we, we, do, we have like the sunflower lanyards and stuff uh, as well, which are like... Oh, I should get, I should people, get something like that. People it, know now that if you, you can't wear a face mask or whatever, but they know, just know from looking at this that, yeah, you have a type of hidden disability. Um, so that's one good thing that's come about recently. And, um, I see, okay. So that, that has become, uh, particularly in, in this year, twenty in the macaroni year, it's become recognizable as something that oh yeah uh, you know most police officers people guards on trains bus conductors and that they see it and then they recognize that oh yeah this person has a hidden disability so it, it has helped to raise awareness of that but you know if you don't have that then you could be in for a rough ride if you're trying to explain 
uh, yourself to one of these people. So it's it's just good to have it and to have it on display. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't mind right. doing that. I, I if if you know if people are going to choose to wear masks to comply to this, I choose to wear a lanyard and a badge to say well you know out of respect for them, because mm-hmm. you know the, the latest studies show you seventy percent more likely to catch a respiratory illness whilst wearing a mask because of the bacterial and mold and fungal spores that collect on the mask. So, um, you know, out of respect for them, I'll wear the badge to say, I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> and most people, mm. 99% of people are okay with that. So anyway, moving along. I see. Okay. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah, just finally then, probably, um, I think we've covered most things apart from who's the best drummer. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know if you're privy to that part, but uh, you can you can That's certainly your cue, on that. <laughs> That's your cue. Um, so oh, so actually, uh, this is an age-old uh, discussion well, that's been going on for years. This this was when David and I realized that we we would we would inevitably become <laughs> friends, and I think it was on Twitter. I posed the question: best rock drummer of all time, Keith Moon or John Bonham? And he wrote back that he had given this considerable thought. <laughs> <laughs> and that uh, he, he's convinced uh, uh, that it, it would be Bonham. Bonham, And I don't know if it's by a whisker or by how, by how much. Um, the whisker was, uh, the metaphysical, the metaphysical whisker was, like I said, was the first time I saw the film and heard uh, Bonham um, perform Moby Dick at the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah. And that just was just like, Oh yeah, this 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 gives him the edge in my mind. <laughs> but I, 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 I love. Now, who I love, would you say? Sorry, go on. Who is the Who would you say is the candidate for the third? And before you answer, um, I'll 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 oh. give you the, the the name of the band. But I, I I don't know any any music by Rush. But I know that Rush fans are huge Rush fans, and they'll swear oh, swear yeah. by swear by their drummer, but also the drummer from Metallica. So I'll just throw the, what, what other drummers out there come to mind? Of oh, course it's, it's style. I can't, I can't quite think at the moment, but Buddy Rich came into my head. Um, oh, Buddy Rich. Oh, sure. Uh, <laughs> but uh, let me think. Yeah. Oh, bloody hell. Old um, school. I can't, I can't quite think right now. I'm kind of like, I'm trying to, trying to maybe your recall. Listeners, <laughs> maybe your listeners can opine in the comments. Yeah, section. if anybody um, wants to uh, message in, Obviously, you, can, you know you can find me on Facebook, and you can, I've, I've changed my security settings now. So you can add me as a friend, uh, David Bottomley. And there's a post-concussion syndrome awareness worldwide groups. There's a few of those. There's about five or six of those. Um, on Twitter, was it at post-concussion or at David74? I'm on Instagram as well, and the usual places. And then we've got the WordPress blog, post-concussion syndrome awareness worldwide dot com uh, dot co dot uk or dot, dot wordpress i think it is so there's all kinds of places but yeah if you've got suggestions for third place drummer please send them in and if you also want to ask about <laughs> uh, post-concussion syndrome related matters uh, feel, sure, feel free to add that in as well. <laughs> no sorry to be flippant but um yeah anything you want to ask and anybody that wants to podcast and come on and tell the story you know because we have people from all kinds of walks of life and and you know we're i'm not going to ever say no to anybody unless they've got some kind of weird agenda or something. <laughs> but, you know, it is, it's fine because the groups on Facebook and so on are totally non-commercial, not-for-profit, nothing, not a penny ever. 
There's nothing, we don't allow sales or promotions or anything like that. In the podcast and the video cast though, we allow people to promote themselves. So it's like, that's fine. So yeah, please get in touch. John, do you want to tell people how they can get hold of you uh, through social media? Sure. And what's your preferred method sure. to do so? I'll start with an invitation mm -hmm. uh, because on December 1st, there's something called Giving Tuesday. And Shay, my colleague in Colorado, is going to be in Kansas for a week. Oh, yeah. uh -huh. And we're going to be live streaming uh, a show, basically like a telethon. Music, uh, dancing, nice. maybe, uh, yeah. lectures, uh, presentations. <laughs> mm. And so we're, what, I'm, what we're doing is inviting people to submit a five-minute selfie video. No production mm. values necessary. Yeah, Just yeah. an introduction saying how we know each other, um, mm -hmm. um, how we're connected to the Bison Foundation, and about your work specifically. Uh, and what and, and and you know who you are as yeah, in yeah. five minutes you know okay, that's cool you know, yeah that's you're, a good you're, idea. and so and so i'll i'll follow up with you on on how yeah, to submit you, those you, five, you, where those yeah. five minutes go yeah so we'd got, love to hear from you you've got mine already okay. <laughs> yeah no okay. any day so as far as um, media presence um linkedin john c byler okay. my profile talks about the book the writing of the book the model mm -hmm. and um on twitter it's at Mild TBI, believe it or not. Do you believe I got that? It was a long uh, time ago. Early the yeah, mild yeah, TBI. Yeah. I got the t the Twitter handle. Like it. Um, and then and then YouTube. If you YouTube uh, search, you look great. Byler mm. uh, TBI. Yeah. Uh, back in two thousand eight, three years after the car accident, my my eldest son Chris was a third year film student at mm. Hampshire College yeah. in Amherst, Massachusetts. Yeah. And um, so he did a fifty five minute film called You Look Great. And at the time, YouTube only let you put up 10 minutes at a time. So you'll see one of six, two oh, of right. six, okay. three of six. Yeah. When you get to six of six, it's mm -hmm. all blacked out because we used a song without permission. Oh, dear. So right. what he did was he took the entire 55-minute film and put it up on Vimeo. <laughs> right, on Vimeo. All right, so, yeah. Yeah, that, that's pretty, um, usually pretty good. So as far as getting in touch with me, uh, my, my email address uh, is erasmusblues at gmail.com. Wonderful. Thank you, John. And thank you so much for uh, being so patient with my gremlins today. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Uh, I just really can't. I mean, you know, like I said before, if anybody wants to kind of like <laughs> help me out with some new tech and stuff, I'd be most grateful. But um, yeah, today is just like, I don't know what went wrong. I, I was well in time and well prepared, but like I had microphone problems. One worked for a while, the other one didn't work. So it was like... And then we got cut off halfway through. So, yeah, I'll probably post this podcast in two parts. Um, it usually takes a few hours to process uh, sort of all the systems. But, but it, it'll be out there on uh, Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music we're on now. And boy, oh boy, that's made a big difference to the podcast um, uh, number of people that can find us. And then Castbox, mm. Breaker, Radio Public, and there's about five or six other ones as well. So the distribution's going really well. Um, and then I, I'd love to have you back on again sometime, um, you know, and just, just, you know, just so we can, uh, you know, continue because there's always more to talk about. Um, and I love the fact that, yeah, you, 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 although, like you said, we've led very different lives. We have so many intersections in our journeys that it's, it's just total synchronicity that, you know, we're still here chatting. And that, that to me is, that I say, I do believe in miracles and that it's just the day-to-day -day stuff that, to me, is miraculous. And I think if you can't see that, if you lose sight of that, how joined together we all are, then 
you lose sight of and you lose all, all kind of faith in the ability to create miracles so yeah it's just little things to inspire people so thank you very much for being so generous with your time and for being so patient with my technical issues and uh, I, will, I will post and pass the links and um, yeah and I'll try and post your links to your um, Facebook and uh, email and things in the description for this video as well just so people can okay. find it and click it as well um, uh, Great. and then that will make it more cohesive Okay. All right. Any anything? Any final words to the folks out there? I, I also have a TBI Strategies Facebook oh, yeah. page. I started that some oh, yeah, years ago. That. Yeah, yeah. It's called TBI Strategies, right. and it's sort of my soapbox. You know, uh, I'll post things on uh, uh, concussion or marijuana or CBD or something. Mm -hmm. So that's the other one. But no, thanks you so much, David. And I'm so glad to have caught up with you, man. And because uh, I've wanted to meet you for a long time. I know, and, virtually. And I just I, I love. <laughs> Knowing that I have friends in the UK, because as I said, my childhood, I was surrounded yeah, by, by yeah, English. You, you were kind and, of... Um, uh, so I, I just, I, I, <laughs> I, I have an immediate kinship with you. you you're an honorary Britophile. <laughs> you're an honorary <laughs> Brit, <laughs> in, 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 so to speak. You know, I mean... Uh, right, I mean, I, that's I'm, cool. Okay, I'll take, I'll take that honorific. Yeah, I mean, I'm half Austrian. My mother's family are from Austria and further back, like Russia and Ukraine. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I'm in kind of like half half in half out same as you are you know in a sense okay. uh, you know so yeah no but we where we meet in the middle is that, that kind of britishness that's been instilled into both of us me for growing up right. here and you for being you know where you were in kowloon so yeah no it's uh right, that's fantastic right. all right so uh ladies and gentlemen thanks again uh for listening and bearing with us uh through those technical difficulties you'll see this in two parts podcast wise and video cast wise so it just remains um, to thank John and say good night to all of you good good day good night wherever right. you are and cheerio so long David so that was um, yeah an interesting and very colourful meeting of uh, <laughs> slightly bruised minds but um, a good one so I hope you really enjoyed that um, you can get in touch with us I've mentioned some links there on Facebook and Twitter and uh, on the WordPress site as well. But yeah, you, you know how to get in touch with us now. Um, and I'll put some links in the description to the videos and the podcasts of how to do so to how to get hold of John and myself. So it only remains for um, me to thank you for listening and watching and uh, have uh, a wonderful day. Thank you. Goodbye.